Time to travel with Karen Key. On the show this evening, we'll be taking a look back at some of the highlights from the show over the last year, and in particular, we'll be focusing on the My Town project. You, the listeners, sent in ideas of what you thought the rest of us should be discovering in this beautiful country of ours. So let's start with Gillian Anderson, who told me about the Cape Natural History Club and some of their outings, one of which was a visit to the old tunnels under the Cape Town Castle. Matt Pfizer, owner of Good Hope Adventures, shared some of the magical wonders of the Cape with us, including this tour. Bruce Hopwood emailed me and he told me about the raffia palm forest in his town, Umtunzini, on the KwaZulu-Natal north coast. And Guy Kors told me about the Marion Hill Landfill Conservancy in the Etiquani municipality in KZN. And Guy, by the way, was the first listener to send through information about his town and I was delighted to have him on the show. And then Colin Roger got in touch with me and if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that I encourage you to explore your own town and especially our own country. Well, Colin did just that, and he headed out from Peter Maritzburg to explore the West Coast, and he was particularly taken with the West Coast Fossil Park. So he joined us to tell us all about his discovery. And then just a reminder that if you need any information about something you hear on the show this evening, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. If you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me on travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, Matt Weiser is a registered tour guide for the Cape Metropole and the Western Cape, and his company, Good Hope Adventures, focuses on cultural and historical tours. Now, my interest was piqued by a listener who told me about his tours of the old tunnels under the Cape Town Castle, and Matt is on the line this evening. Matt, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, good evening. So how did you first get interested in these tunnels, Matt? What piqued your interest in this? Well, I was living in Cape Town, um, and I was a student studying architecture, and I went into a hole at the top of town where the river flows into, and I walked and I walked and I walked and I walked through a long tunnel, and I ended coming out somewhere in the bottom of town near the castle. And uh, I thought, well, this could make a nice project, and then I did the project on the tunnels of Cape Town. Now, some of these tunnels, these old underground canals and the rivers, I mean, they date right back to 1652. Yeah, that's right, because uh, when the Dutch arrived here, um, they brought with them their canals from Amsterdam. Uh, they were quite homesick when they arrived here, so they built all these canals, um, and they needed these canals to supply the vegetable gardens, um, and also to supply the water mills uh, with water and the passing ships that used to pass here from the Netherlands to India. It was a very long journey, and the sailors needed uh, water to drink. Now, this water is coming down off the mountain, and it flows under the city now. That's correct. It comes out of Table Mountain. Table Mountain is like a big sandstone sponge. Whenever you see a big cloud on Table Mountain, it soaks up all the water and it then comes out as an artesian spring underneath the city. Uh, we have granite deep below our city of Cape Town, so the water can't go any further, so it pops out in various places of the city. Now, you, you mentioned get, climbing down a hole and walking and walking and walking. How big are these tunnels? I mean, how far do they go and what do they actually connect? Well, uh, the tunnels are, are fairly large. There are four main routes or four rivers that uh, flow off Table Mountain here on the front. There are obviously the other ones on the other side all around Table Mountain, 
But the four main ones are, for instance, the Herenkracht, which was the first one. We know it as a gentleman's walk. Then we've got the Bait and Kant. I call that one the Ladies' Mile. Uh, we've got the Long Street Tunnel that used to supply Long Street Bars with um, the fresh water. And we also have a tunnel underneath the Bait and Kracht. So Kracht means canal, and we have the Herenkracht, the Bait and Kracht, the Kaiserskracht, the Prinzenkracht, and so on. I mean, these things are I'm just sitting there looking for all the world like just water tunnels, but they were also used as escape routes back in the day. It's possible, yes, because there were, were, was talk. I spoke to a historian. I don't know if he's around still anymore, but he told me he used to work at the old customs house in town, uh, which was also known as, before that time, it was known as the town prison. And some prisoners had escaped uh, out of there and they had gotten into the... Uh, old Strand Street tunnels where they um, actually left some engravings. I've never seen these engravings. I've never found a way into these tunnels. I think they've been chopped off on both sides. Uh, so those are still possibly underground. Other people that have used these canals um, or history, if you go back in history, are smugglers, bandits, uh, especially behind the cars. We used to have a lot of pubs. We still have the Perseverance, Kimberley Hotel, and so on. So that used to be the drinking area. Uh, They used to smuggle drink along these uh, canals at night. Um, And also, these canals were used by the washerwoman, 300 to 400 ladies that used to walk up uh, the canal, the Bait and Cunt Canal, to do the washing for the passing ships. Now, people are wondering what on earth you would go down a tunnel for. I mean, you you run these tunnel tours. What can you see in these tunnels? What is it about the tunnels that makes them so exciting and interesting to go and do a tour of them? Well, first of all, it's dark in there. It's very, very dark. It's it's a different type of world. It's underground. Um, You hear noises that you don't usually hear. You hear cars and trucks driving over you. You hear the ships and the trains running in the bottom of town. Um... And it's also interesting just to climb through a hole and to go exploring and see where it goes to. Um, and, and also the architecture itself, the brickwork and, and, and the infrastructure and the way they've been built and constructed is very interesting. You also do a little bit of, a, of an edu- You're very much into this eco-edutainment. So you, you'd like to impart a bit of educational knowledge while you're down there as well. Yes, that's correct. If you think of our waters of Cape Town, um, when Jan van Grieweg arrived here in 1652, it only took three years to pollute our waters of Cape Town. The first environmental law was written in 1655, and it read something like, Niet boven die van die In short, it means don't pollute the waters. And we haven't learned a lesson yet. If you look at our wetlands and our rivers around the Cape, they are extremely polluted and I am trying to create awareness that these rivers need to be cleaned up and that our water must be looked after. Water is very valuable. Now, Matt, tell me about the tours. There are three different types of tunnel tours that you offer. Tell me about those. I have a short, easy route, commercial route, or I could say good for an office outing or team building event, uh, which goes in by the castle, a little bit under the city, Canterbury Street, and then we pop out down by the old beach, uh, which we know is Strand Street. That is the route, the easiest route. It's, it's a nice and easy one. Um, then we have a longer adventure route where we go in at the top of town and then we go through the tunnel and we exit down at the castle. And then obviously I have a third route that uh, we include a bit of the 
river history. We start further up from the tunnel where we actually look at the old mills, the old reservoirs, the washer houses. We go past the washer houses and we go deep into history before we actually enter the tunnel system and we exit the castle. And size of groups that you can take, Matt? The um, minimum size is 10. If, you, if it's less than 10, it gets, it gets a bit costly. Um, so the minimum size is 10 people per tour, and the maximum size is 24 people per group. And how long do these tours take? They take anything from, if we start at 10 o'clock, we usually finish by about 12 or so. So anything between two hours and uh, up to four hours. So you can, you can time, it's a shorter route, it's like two hours, a longer route can take you up to three and a half hours. So, I mean, how popular are these with locals? Because I'm always pushing for the locals to discover their own cities. How many Cape Tonians or South Africans do you have going and doing the tunnel tours? I think so far... Um, the locals have been the most interested, which is very odd. Well, that's um, good, though. It's very odd to find when, when, when all the bookings or most of the bookings I get are actually local people. With tourism or tourists coming from Germany or from America, they, they would phone me and they say, oh, can we go now or can we go tomorrow? But that is a little bit impossible because we need to organize um, these tunnel tours quite well in advance, at least a week or two weeks in advance. So bookings are essential. Uh, so you need to book these tours quite well in advance to actually get on a tour. Also, space is quite limited uh, because it is a confined space. We do not take hundreds and hundreds of people in these tunnels, so there is a bit of a waiting queue to get in there. How fit do you need to be to do this? Because I know you climbed down a manhole to start with. Yeah, you need to be uh, sort of agile. Um, okay, climbing down a manhole isn't difficult. You sit on the edge and you lower yourself down a ladder, which is about two and a half meters. It's not very high. We've got a guy... A, a, a uh, a guide standing at the top, we've got a guide at the bottom, so that's fairly safe. Uh, and then it's a walking tour, and we walk in the river, or there's a little bit of water in the tunnel, usually about a foot, not a foot deep, I would say, but five centimeters deep. And there are parts that are slippery, which we make you aware of when we get to slippery places. So you need to be quite sure-footed, um, and you shouldn't be, have any medical conditions such as uh, asthma, if you do have asthma, bring your asthma pump. Heart conditions, uh, no good. Pregnant, uh, pregnancy, also not good for the tunnels. Okay, was that just because of the confined space and the, the, not the air that possibly isn't so good down there? Yeah, we don't want to take unnecessary risks. Uh, so it's good to be fit and you need to be uh, walking fit and, and, and healthy to do these tunnels. Because it is an adventure route. Uh, it is an adventure activity and um, you need to be fit for that. Is this a year-round tour that, that you do, or is there possibly in winter there's too much water coming through there, or what is the story about that? Yeah, well, these, these canals are used for stormwater, so if it does rain, we do not go into the tunnels. Like, uh, we have a tour tomorrow, we're going to have a look. Uh, there is rain forecast for tomorrow, so we'll see how much rain there is. We'll go to the tunnels, we'll open up, and we'll see if, if, if it starts raining. We are not going to go into the tunnels, we'll have to postpone. Uh, last year, we did the tunnel tours right throughout the year, um, and we had to postpone out of out of all the tours as we did last year. I think we had to postpone two tours because of rain. So how often do you actually go? Because I know you said there's a waiting list and people need to have booked at least a week yes. or two in advance. So how many tours do you actually do? At the moment, uh, I'm busy about with uh, about one to two tours a week, and the group sizes are between 10 and 20 people. Gosh, well, that's actually quite good that people are actually going to investigate the history under the city. It makes a difference from looking to see what's on top. 
Yes, that's correct. It sounds like a whole lot of fun, Matt, and I'd love to have you back because this isn't just the only thing that you do. You do lots of other things, but I was very glad that I was alerted to what you do by one of our listeners who mm-hmm. said I should definitely find out more about your tunnel tours. Yeah. So if you've got some time on another evening, Matt, if you'd love to like to join us again, that would be great. Yes, there are also many other things to be mm. discovered in town, other opportunities in Cape Town that are still haven't been explored. Uh, I mean, I can just think of a couple of them which I could name, which was this, for instance, the town or clock tower, which is very interesting. Uh, the various springs, the old shoreline of Cape Town, um, and 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 so on. And there are many many things one can look at. Well, I'd obviously, love- I'm also also offer do offer other tours such as longboarding, skateboarding, downwind, cycle tours along Table wow. Bay and okay. the history. <laughs> Uh, and I've gone very deep into history because I have uh, done a couple of things on Bloberg Hill with the Battle of Bloberg, and I'm also very interested in all the old fortifications that used to be around our coast here. Well, you're definitely going to have to come back then, Matt. But for this evening, thank you very much indeed for your time and for telling us about the tunnel tours of Cape Town. Okay, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Good night to you. Thank you. Good night. Matt Weiser is a registered tour guide for the Cape Metropole and the Western Cape, and his company, Good Hope Adventures, focuses on cultural and historical tours. Now, if you'd like to find out more about his tours, you can contact him on 021-510-7517 or take a look at the website, www.goodhopeadventures.com. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, I've been asking you, the listeners, to let me know about your town or city, what's special or different or unique where you live. Well, Bruce Hopwood took the time to email me to let me know about the Raffia Palm Forest in Umtunzini on the KwaZulu-Natal North Coast, and he joins me now. Bruce, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me this evening about this. I was actually looking at doing some research on Umtunzini, and it's quite a spectacular place. Before we get to the Raffia Forest, tell me a little bit about Umtunzini itself, what all there is there. I mean, you've got nature reserves, and you've got the beach yeah. there, and I mean, everything. Yeah, Karen, it's quite unique in, in Southern coastal towns in that it isn't built on the beach. Uh, the, 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 the coastal area is a nature reserve, and the town, the village, as we call it, is away from the coast. So you have this completely unspoiled area of lagoons, uh, coastal forests, uh, swamp forests, mangrove forests, and the raffias form part of, of, of one of the, the swamp forests. And this is actually, it, I was reading a thing, it says there's a grove of raffia palms beside the railway line. It's one of the few declared national monuments in the country and the best place to spot the rare palm nut vulture, which nests near the top of the palm. So you've got sort of a double whammy there. You've got the palms and you've got these these vultures. Yeah. Uh, the, the palms actually aren't uh, indigenous to Umtanzini. They were introduced about 100 years ago from uh, an area on the Mozambique border, the Cozy Bay Lake area, where, where they, it's the only place where they occur naturally in South Africa. And someone, uh, a, a magistrate about 100 years ago, got a bag of, of, of seeds to plant to try and promote a craft industry with re- using the, the raffia fiber. And so he planted all these in the swamp, and, and they thrived. Um, the, the craft industry didn't work because it's the wrong raffia. Apparently, the, the, the raffia craft uh, weave is, is used uh, with uh, palms from West Africa. It's not the, the Southern Africa palm. But these palms are now naturalized. Um, they they uh, seen all over Umtanzini, and wherever, wherever, you, wherever you get a raffia palm, you'll get a palm nut vulture. So you'll only get palm nut vultures in two places in southern Africa, and that's at Cozy Bay and at Umtanzini. 
somehow the, the fruit is an essential part of their diet. And, and if you plant uh, rapier palms, a vulture will find it. Now, getting so, to the yeah, we have these two special special things in Mtanzini. Now, getting to the palms is it's it's a bit of a trick. You've got to go through a swamp. <clears throat> well, in Cozy Bay, if you do want to see the rapier palms, you'll have to slow, you know. You know, go through mud and and all sorts of hard, hardship to get to them. But in Umtanzini, there's a beautiful boardwalk that goes takes you right into the heart of of this forest, um, and they're enormously high. They're up to about 24 meters high. So in the heart of this this rapier palm forest, you you just have these enormously high palms with these huge arching leaves. The leaves of of the rapier palm are reputed to be the largest in the plant kingdom. And, and you just have this wonderful atmosphere. It's like an old uh, Gothic cathedral, uh, you know, with these arching palms meeting 25 meters high up above you. Um, but, but the interesting thing about the rapid palm, it only lives for 25 years. Uh, it flowers, uh, fruits, uh, and, and then starts to die. So every 10 years you go into this forest and you see a completely different, different forest uh, at in the, in the forest now, there's a fourth generation of palm trees, and, and they're probably in their last few years. And 10 years' time, the palms will be young, so it will be a different experience going into, into the forest. How fast do they grow, Bruce? Very quickly. Um, you, they, between 20 and 25 years, they'll start fruiting, and, and the flower first comes, it comes out the top of the palm tree, not like a normal palm where it hangs on the side. So you have these enormous palms, and then suddenly this, this enormous inflorescence develops above the crown of, of the palm leaves. Um, and, and that eventually, the, the male flowers on top and the female be below it, and, and uh, the fruits, but you can get up between 6,000 and 10,000 huge, big uh, palm fruits developing on, on this inflorescence. And that's where, where the, the vulture will nest at the top in, in, that, in that inflorescence and eat the, the, those, uh, those palm, palm nuts. Is and, this and, then, and then eventually and then it starts to die. So after about 25 years, the palm starts to rot away and the, the next generation starts coming up in the swamp. Is this something that is very well known? In, I mean, obviously the locals all know about it, but the rest of us in the rest of the country, are we coming up to have a look? Is this a relatively big tourist attraction? It, it's, uh, well, certainly birders know it because, uh, you know, the, they, they want to see the palm nut vulture, mm. and there are a few other specials in the area that you'll only see here, but one is the palm nut vulture. So we get a lot of birders coming specifically to find the palm nut vulture. And then people, people who know a bit about the trees, about trees or ancient trees also come because it's, it's only about 40 years ago that they, 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 they named this palm. They thought it was a, a, a palm that you'd get in Central Africa, but it's a different palm. So it's, there's not really much known about it. And, it's all in, and, and as I said, you'd only find, you only find it here in great numbers and at Cozy Bay. So it, it is a remarkable phenomenon. Do you actually live in Umtanzini? Yeah, I live on a farm outside, and I, I've planted a few uh, palms on my streams on the farm, 
And whenever I go for a walk in the afternoon, I always see a palm that vaulted perched on top of a palm. It's quite remarkable. I saw one this afternoon at 4 o'clock when I was taking my dogs for a walk. Just exactly where you expect to see it, right on top of the palm tree, you know, on top of the, you know, the inflorescence, the stem, just, just enjoying the view. And they say life is tough. I mean, what, what a thing to see on a sort of a Wednesday afternoon. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> and in fact, uh, I've seen eight circling in the valley below my house at one time. You know, you just, that's what I say. They, they find these palms when they're in fruit and they nest there. Uh, you know, you, pot, you plant a, pot, a grove of, of rapier palms and uh, a palm that vulture will find it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Can you eat the fruit? I mean, is it is? Can you get to it? I mean, if you're not a vulture, can you we get to the fruit? I mean, is it something that is edible? It, it's quite rare to find because the vultures virtually clean up everyone. But oh, okay. um, I, I had someone from uh, the Walter Zulu University phone me the other day, and they wanted to do research on them, and it was, they wanted the whole fruit with the shell and the fruit on it, and it's difficult to find because the vultures just eat everything up. So I actually had to chop down a palm tree to get. I know. You know I had to, to get a bag of seeds for the for the university to do research on, uh, because it, yeah, you, you all all you find on the ground is the clean uh, the kernel, but when when you do find the seed, it, it's the most beautiful decorative thing. It's about the size of a, a small lime, and it's covered in in highly polished kind of mahogany colored uh, scales. And the vulture will, will peel those off. And then there's a thin layer of fruit, pretty much like a, a dried mango. And, and that's the essential part of, of the vulture's diet, the thin layer of, of, of pulp. Uh, it's rich in oil and carbohydrates. And, and for some reason, you know, the vulture has got to eat this. Have you tried it? I haven't tried it, actually. <laughs> I'm sitting with a couple in front of me, but I've never eaten it. I'd rather wait for the University of... Uh, to tell you whether it's edible. <laughs> so let them try it first, and if they say yeah. well, it's not too bad, then you can have a go. No, I just thought if it looks and t- possibly looks like dried mango, it might not taste too bad. But uh, yeah, rather rather let someone else try it, Bruce. Yeah, yeah, no, let them study it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you involved with it? How, how do you become involved with the raffia palms? I'm just thinking uh, because I, they contacted you from the university. I wondered what your connection was with those. Oh, I, 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 I do. I grow. I have a nursery. I grow trees. I plant. I landscape. Uh, I suppose people just know that. I, I know something about our local vegetation. I suppose. Well, it's I, r- I was I was born here, so I know a bit about everything in this area. <laughs> well, that that's great. You know, we, this is the whole point of this My Town project that I'm doing on the show is that trying to find these unusual and different things that happen around the country that the rest of us don't know about. But you, as you said, you're born there, you know what's going on there, and we need to know from people like you so that we can find out what's happening in the rest of the country. You know, I always say that South Africa has so much to offer. We just need to go out there and find it. Exactly, Corinne. You know, I mean, Tanzini, if you get off Durban Airport, King Shark Airport, we're just an hour up north, and it's just one, we're one kilometer off the N2, and, and it's another world. 
it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable place. I'm not sure if you've ever been here, but you should really pop in one day. I've been up to KZN, but I've, I must admit I've never been to Umtunzini. Next time I come up, I'm coming to look for some vultures and uh, raffia <laughs> palm. I'm definitely going to do that. Sounds inc- and, and then the, I'm sure a lot of people out there listening have been up that area, but have never actually bothered to go and have a look at the, at the palm forest or have a look for the vultures, which is a whole different experience and poss- a very unique one, as you said. You're not going to find this pretty much anywhere other than yourselves and at Cozy Bay. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to miss the palms in Umtantini. They stand out above all the forests. They're like these great plumes of feathers uh, above the canopy of, 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 of our forests. And um, they, they, they really have made uh, naturalized uh, uh, themselves in Umtantini. They, 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 they're everywhere now. And, and I'm not sure how many breeding pairs of vultures are around, but you're pretty much guaranteed to find a palm nut vulture if you come to them. Well, Bruce, thank you so very much indeed for emailing us about this. And um, hopefully a lot of people will come up and explore your part of the world. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you, Corin, and I hope they do come. I hope so too. Yeah. In the My Town feature this evening, I was chatting with listener Bruce Hopwood about the Raffia Palm Forest in Umtunzini on the KZN North Coast. And if you'd like to find out more about the area, you can have a look at the website. It's www.umtunzini. It's M-T-U-N-Z-I-N-I. Umtunzini.co.za. Time to travel on SAFM. Well, in the My Town feature this evening, I'm delighted to be chatting with listener Guy Cause. And he was the first one to respond to my call for this feature. He works for the Durban Solid Waste, the Cleansing and Solid Waste Department of the Etiquani Municipality in KZN. And he's going to be chatting to us about the Marion Hill Landfill Conservancy. Now, a landfill is rather an unlikely place to visit, or so you thought. But I guarantee you, you're going to be surprised. Guy, good evening. Welcome to the show. Uh, good evening, Karen, and to the listeners. It's, it's good to be with you. It's wonderful to finally get you on the show. I've been dying to have you on because I just think this is such a unique thing to tell people about because when I've mentioned it to a few people, I say it's landfall. They say, well, that's not exactly the place I'd want to go and visit, you know. I say, well, listen to the show. You're going to find out why you should. So tell me a little bit about this. is only, I think, four years ago that this was reclaimed, if you like, this area. Well, it, it actually goes back quite a while. It's actually one of our landfill sites. Now, in Durban, our, all our landfill sites are, are, are world-class. You know, it's it's not the old rubbish dump of the past. Mm. It's, it's basically um, a working landfill site. And, and the reason why we introduced it was that our mandate uh, from the education section is to educate the public on solid waste management. You know, you start with littering and, and that sort of thing, but so many people don't know what happens to that black bag they put on the pavement that is collected every week. You know, do they just disappear? And we uh, in Durban actually distribute 60 million of these bags every year. So we brought these tours in, and we didn't know what the response would be like to... Um, you introduce the public as to how waste is managed, and we've had a fantastic response. Now, you're the senior education officer, Guy, so what exactly do you do? Well, basically, we have our, our roots back in, um, in the strategic section of Durban Solid Waste, or DSW, and our mandate is, is to actually educate the public about waste management. And in, in effect, we actually do environmental education, but we take it from a waste perspective. We started oh, some 30 years ago with 
just trying to improve the litter situa- situation in the city. And then we changed it, uh, the focus a little bit because street paper on the pavement is, is waste badly managed, as street paper in a bin is waste properly managed. So we encompassed the whole aspect of um, so, uh, solid waste management. So we go around to schools, community groups, we teach them about proper waste management uh, programs such as this. Our radio programs help a lot. We um, uh, integrate it into schools, programs, universities. You know, it's, it's a wide range. And if the community wants to be involved in waste management education or cleanups, we get there and we support them to take ownership of their own community in terms of waste management. Now, people think they're just going to come and it's all just about the waste management thing, which is the big part of it. But there's also, you've got a nursery there, there's a bird hide, you can do go on walks on the rehabilitated areas. There's a lot more to do than, than just the educational side. Yes, it's actually uh, quite a, an, an interesting exercise because when we introduce the tours, it's always uh, at a time when it's an actual working site. Because uh, a landfill site does not come straight. We here's a bit of land, throw some uh, rubbish down, and that's it. And before it starts, we have to explain to the community how um, all the alien plants and the indigenous plants are removed. The indigenous plants are put into a nursery. Then the whole um, landfill site area is lined with rubber and stones and clay levels, etc. And that is before the first bit of waste goes into the site. And we do it in cells, like in areas. And as each um, cell fills up, then it's covered, and those indigenous plants from the nursery are replanted back in the same site. And on, on the top of it, uh, we have a bird hive. We've reestablished uh, a wetland, and bird watchers come there. And part of the tour is we take the people onto the uh, rubbish site that has been rehabilitated. Are people surprised when they get there, Guy? Yes, uh, you know, I think uh, last year I took a whole uh, number of youth groups, I think there were about 400 of them over a period of a week. And at the closing function, uh, the leader said, well, when people came from all over the country and heard they were going on a tour of a landfill site, they were highly disappointed. But for many of them, it became their favorite um, uh, visit of of the tour of Durban. It is... um, uh, quite interesting because you see it uh, actually being active and you get a bit of technical knowledge. It's, it's actually a conservancy, so you in the middle of a, a landfill site, but at the same time you're um, in an environmentally sound area. And uh, lots of interesting questions uh, arise which, which we answer. And, of course, our pride and joy is our gas to electricity plant, which has been going for a number of years. And, you know, all uh, landfill sites actually emit um, a methane gas, which is actually not very environmentally sound. And we have a system uh, which was helped with uh, European uh, money where we actually uh, capture the gas and transform it into electricity. And just the Marion Hill landfill site actually um, electrifies enough uh, power to electrify 2,753 bedrooms homes. Good Lord. So that just comes from the landfill site. And then the other side is um, the leachate. When I explain to children, I say it's the juices that come out the bottom. We've got a bottle of it there. It's a bit dark. Mm. I say, please don't drink it. But we actually purify it and take it through reed bed processes, and we use that water from the leachate 
to keep the dust levels down at the top so we're not using purified water through the Itagweni water system to keep the dust levels down. It's, it's like a closed-loop system. But looking at the kinds of tour groups that you take around there, Guy, it seems mostly to be locals, schools, tertiary in- institutions, businesses, ladies' groups, that sort of thing. What about visitors to the to Etiquene, to KZN? Is this something that we should be putting on our sort of where we should go when we visit sort of list if we tourists? Well, especially if people are interested in environmental mm. groups, groups aren't highly recommended. Because we get all sorts of people, especially um, people from overseas coming to our conferences, etc. About two weeks ago, I took a group of young leaders who, who are attending the World Islamic Economic Forum in, in Durban. And they came, and there were 26 of them, and we spent a wonderful time going over how we work it. And the questions were really challenging. So often we have specialist groups like that, businesses. In two weeks' time, I've got a tour of 53 um, grade R pupils, five-year-olds five year coming, and they come every year. So it's, it really covers the whole spectrum. And, you know, anybody can phone. It's part of our education program and book. But please, book well in advance. We dedicate Thursdays to tours, but sometimes we do do extra, extra tours. So, um, but, you know, we need quite advance notice to get a, an education officer who's available on that particular day. And the best part, though, I believe the tours are free. Oh, uh, yes, very much so, because <laughs> it comes out of our education budget. You know, we're not there to make a quick buck. We're there to educate the people. And judging by the response and the repeat uh, uh, returns from schools and colleges and that sort of thing, uh, they actually go down very well. Is this the only one of these conservancies that, that is, has been put to this sort of use, Guy, or are there more in the area? Um, well, you know, in, we have taken some to the other ones in the city, but this is the one that we specially equipped because it's in Pine Town near Marion Hill, which is very easily, um, you can get to it very easily. It's just off the freeway, and uh, we have a boma on the, on the hill on the side, which the people can see very easily when we do the explanations. It's all very well equipped. We have done them with the other ones, but that's more on ad hoc and a very specialist basis. So we've rather centered all our resources on one particular landfill site. And you mentioned the bird hide. I mean, are you inundated with birders, people coming to look? What, what is there? Are there a number of different bird species there? Yes, I believe there are about 80-odd different uh, birds, you know, over a year. And just below the bird hide is the recreated uh, wetland. And, you know, even for the kids, uh, we take them down, we explain to them, you know, this is what a wetland is. And you can, they can see reeds and all that for the first time. And it's also the home of a very rare miniature chameleon, and, um, which only is found in our Itagweni municipality. And so um, I was thrilled a few weeks ago, I was taking a group over, and there was one just sort of crossing our path, a tiny little chameleon. So it really is playing a, a strong environmental uh, role as well. Yeah, I was actually reading some information that said that in 1995, for the first time in South Africa and perhaps in the world, a landfill has been named a conservancy site, and that was Marion Hill. Yes, that, that was, and it's, it's actually proved a role model. And, you know, we're not trying to make it exclusive. We're trying to uh, share our message because we're very proud of the Marion Hill landfill site, well, all our landfill sites. And we have people from overseas. I remember taking the the equivalent of our CSRR from India over it to see how it's done. 
So they come from all over the world to see how we manage it. It's an amazing project. And as I said, you know, people hopefully listening to this will think, it's in, especially with the locals, you can get there faster. And uh, mm. we still have to come up to Durban to visit. Next time we're on holiday, we can all go and visit the landfill. But if you live in the area and you're looking for something different to do, think about going off to see the Marion Hill landfill site. It sounds like a wonderful day out. How long is the tour, Guy? How well, long are they going to? We can tailor it. Um, you know, I've taken some specialist groups just for an hour. Mm. But usually between two, two and a half, three hours, depending on the people and, um, you know, also sounds a bit crazy, but a lot of people come uh, have the tour and then picnic <laughs> on uh, the landfill site. Um, I love there's, this. There's no smell because we have odor control. I mean, I explain it to the children. We say the deodorants all around the <laughs> landfill site, but we have <laughs> we have special um, uh, odor control, and you know it's sealed every day. So really, you can have a picnic there. You can make it a function. Um, you know, a lot of community groups such as the Women's Institute. Um, I had many church groups come over. So it, it really is a popular feature, not only for educational institutions, for community groups. Well, I mean, it'll be a first. No one else would have, will, will be able to top them for on, on a venue if they do that. Yes, yes. and it's actually, um, uh, you know, once it gets going, uh, you know, the tour gets going, and they, it, it's fascinating because it's actually, as I say, a work in progress. And every time you go there, it looks a bit different because it's getting a bit fuller here. They moved uh, where they're operating from, and you can see where the next cell has been lined. So, you know, there's a whole dynamic to it, which makes it a very interesting uh, exercise. I'm going to give out a website. It's landfillconservancies.com. They can click on that thing, and there is a link there to Marion Hill right at the top of the page. And if you click on the Marion Hill link, you get the phone number, you get directions, you get all the information that you need to be able to book yourself on one of those tours. Is there anything else specific people need to know about? Or where, is there maybe an easier way to go about doing this, Guy? Well, you know, I think the easiest way is to phone, especially if you're in Durban, phone our cleansing and solid waste department somewhere along the line at our helpline. They will refer uh, the person to the correct uh, um, administrator who books the tours, or they could email me and I, I will follow it up from there. But really, just phone our helpline and the helpline will refer uh, the query to to the correct person and we can take it from there. But as I say... Uh, there are times when it does get quite well booked up. So let us know quite in advance, and we'll definitely try to accommodate all our requests. And you said it mainly on Thursday mornings, but if needs be, you could make another date, but it's generally on a yes. Thursday morning. Yeah, we've, uh, we've dedicated a th- Thursday morning. Somebody is available every Thursday morning to lead a tour. And, you know, if there's, especially with adult tours, two of them together, and, you know, we can take a whole grade, more or less, maximum of a bus. Uh, we can take at one at once because the BOMA can take about 70 uh, children and, and then they can also see all the crafts from recycling, etc. as well. Guy, I am so glad I finally caught up with you and you could tell us about this because I think it's a wonderful addition to a destination in KZN. People can pop along and it sounds like a wonderful morning out, at least. Uh, go and visit the Marion Hill Landfill uh, Conservancy. Thank you so much for contacting me initially and thank you so much for your time on the show this evening. Yeah, uh, no, it's our pleasure and we hope to see uh, all the people who want to come, come along and they are very welcome. Thank you so much indeed. Thank good, you very much. Good night to you.
In the My Town feature this evening, I was chatting with listener Guy Cause. He's the Senior Education Officer with the Cleansing and Solid Waste Department of the Etiquani Municipality in KZN. And we were talking about the Marion Hill Landfill Conservancy. I told you you'd be surprised, didn't I? Well, for more information, contact numbers and a map, you can go to www.landfillconservancies.com or Guy says call the helpline at the Durban Solid Waste Department and they'll be able to put you in touch with the right people. Time to travel with Karen Key. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that I encourage you to explore your own town or your own city and then to go out and explore the rest of South Africa. We have so much to see here. We just need to look for it. Well, listener Colin Roger did just that. He headed out from Peter Maritzburg to the West Coast and was delighted with what he found there. Colin, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Corin. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for letting me know about your wonderful experience. You popped off to Langebaan and uh, headed off to the West Coast Fossil Park. You mentioned said that this was one of those gems, that those little hidden gems. Do you tell us what you found there? Yes, absolutely, uh, Corin. You know, I'm fortunate to have a son and daughter-in-law who live in that wonderful city of yours at Cape Town. Whenever we visit them, they, they really spoil us with the little visits here and there and to all the various touring spots. You know, over the years, we've... We've done the, the wine routes and we've done the Simonstown area, the double-decker routes, uh, bus routes, the cable car, the waterfront. And last time I mentioned to him that maybe we should have a look at the West Coast and a couple of the little villages along the way, and, and particularly the uh, fossil park at the West Coast, which they had visited and sent me some photographs, which really wet the appetite, appetite some years ago. So um, it's exactly what we did. And... Uh, we, we decided this time um, we'd, we'd just go along with them, and uh, we found ourselves on the R24, and uh, this was in the wheat belt going through the Malmesbury area. It was amazing to see how the, the mountains with the wine estates all of a sudden were now rolling hills and uh, beautifully ploughed and ready for planting with your first rains. I believe you've had those. The uh, West Coast uh, Fossil Park... Um, Situated on the R45, just before you get to Friedenburg, just off the turn off to Langebaan to the left. And uh, the landscape now very much semi-desert, uh, very little vegetation and very few trees. Millions of years ago, it's proved that this area was, in fact, uh, grassland, lovely savanna with uh, river on forests. The area we were at now was uh, originally mined for about 50 years for phosphate. Phosphate, as you know, is for, for the manufacture of, of fertilizer. And um, in 1993, the mining stopped, the mining operation stopped, and they moved to another part of the country. And the area, or part of it, was declared a national monument, which is now run by the Zika Museums of Cape Town. Um, we paid our entrance fee, and, and a guy, Nicky, a middle-aged chap, a real salt-of-the-earth local chap, uh, with an incredible sense of humor, um, popped along and beckoned us to, to follow him to our first stop. We followed him in the vehicle, and after about a kilometre along a dusty road, he explained how everything fell into position. Um, he had actually worked on the mine, so he, he knew the area quite well. The mine dumps were there, the odd quarry, and interesting, we were standing uh, next to our car, and there was a, a map on a piece of board, and he started explaining... Now, first of all, the Great Berg River, which is some 20 kilometers away and discharges into the uh, Atlantic about 40 k's away at uh, Feltrift. 
Um, many millions of years ago, that river actually took a shortcut through where we were standing and uh, actually uh, went into the Atlantic at the Longabon Lagoon area. Um, very interesting. Um, we stood there and he pointed out a very big tunnel on the left-hand side. It looked like an irrigation tunnel, um, the type you find on vegetable farms. Um, it was very well waterproofed with clear plastic sheeting. It was large enough to, to house probably two or three light aircraft, so it was a big one. Um, this was the obviously the dig site at the uh, at the, the fossil park. Now, at this stage, I think I'll better just read you um, what uh, I found. Um, the fossils are the remains of dead animals and plants that have been preserved in rock. Most often the hard parts, such as the bones, teeth, shells, and wood, are preserved. However, sometimes animal tracks and the, 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 coast, uh, sorry, the, the cost of soft body parts and even animal feces may be fossilized. Special conditions are needed for a skeleton to fossilize. Once the living animal dies, the body must become buried under layers of mud or sand, and new layers must be added over time. As it lies underground, minerals like calcium carbonate and silica dissolved in water fill all the tiny pores and little holes in the bones. Over millions of years, the bones and mud turn to rock and form the fossil-bearing rocks that we find today. These fossils, they also give us clues as to how animals and plants changed over time as they adapted to changing conditions on the land. And from this, we can work out how the climate has changed over time and how our present environment came about, unquote. It must have been yep. quite amazing looking at all these things, uh, Colin, that had been there forever. And unfortunately, so much of it had been lost when they were mining there. Absolutely. In fact, um, the pamphlets that I was uh, able to, to, to lay my hands on indicate there are actually uh, over a million bones that have actually been taken out off the site. So they are preserved all over the world, especially at the um, Azika Museum in, in Cape Town, who is now um, manages the, the, the setup. Um, very interesting indeed. When we get to the um, the, the tunnel, um, I want you to imagine once you go inside a series of large empty swimming pools where somebody um, has painted a mural of a myriad of bones and in 3D. And this is exactly what it looks like. Um, and when you stand there a meter below the scaffolding that the, uh, runs throughout the tunnel, um, it's amazing, absolutely amazing to look down and see this solid mass of rock with hundreds, probably thousands of bones of all sizes. There were femurs, there were tibias, there were scapulars, foot bones, vertebra, jaw bones. Now, this level that they dug was the five million year dig. So, very interesting. And our guide, oh, Mickey, what a wonderful lad he was. He told us about uh, little stories about he identified a jawbone that uh, once belonged to a short-necked giraffe. Uh, this was a herbivore. He, he told us he identified the age of this, this, uh, this animal. He said it was a young one because of this reason and because of that, and he identified the size of the teeth, what was happening to the growth of the teeth, etc. Very well-informed bone, very interesting. Um, in this particular site, they found bones from over 200 different animals over the years, and some of them were undiscovered at the time of, of uh, 1993 when the mining operation changed and this became a national park. Um, 
millions of years before that, in fact, this area was covered by the sea. And this is borne out with examples of little bones and structures from all the sea animals, little earth, little crustaceans, right up to seahorses, and even teeth from some very, very large uh, sharks that had been in the area. My special animal on our journey was the extinct African bear. He was known at that stage. He was the king of the, of the, of the bush. He was the big uh, meat eater. And when we saw uh, examples of the, the, jaw, the jaw bones later on, the jawbone of this African bear actually dwarfed that of the modern lion by probably one and a third times. Quite amazing. There were teeth from the saber-toothed cat. There were skulls from the wild pig. In fact, the one wild pig was as large as a small hippo. It's very, very interesting. Um, we visited the lab afterwards. The old mining businesses, uh, buildings had been converted into offices and labs, and we saw the sorting and identification tables. Very interesting. There's a museum which housed reconstructed skulls and skeletons with drawings and wall charts of approximate sizes, and uh, it was actually unbelievable. Um, small crustaceans, I was saying, and uh, standing there, uh, we just couldn't believe what we were seeing. They do, in fact, on this, uh, the, the site, they cater for cycling, for hiking trails, and for refreshments are available. Corin, that was our visit to that wonderful place in, uh, in uh, just outside Longabon. And um, from then on, we, we carried on to have a look at the other little settlements and villages that we uh, intended doing. But, you know, the, the sad part is, though, Colin, it's 150 kilometers from Cape Town. It's not that far. And I wonder how many people who live literally on the doorstep like yeah. you have gone to visit this. And that's yeah. why I wanted to promote this particular feature. And I know when you emailed me, you said this doesn't really fit into the My Town feature. That's but right. you you doing exactly what I'm encouraging other people to do is explore. I'm sure you know what goes on where you live. And now you've gone out exploring something different. And that is what I'm encouraging people to do. Because, as you said, there is so much out there for us to see. And we need to just get a bit of a jolt every now and again to remind us of what's there. And your enthusiasm for what you've seen is infectious. So hopefully a lot of you've infected a lot of people with your enthusiasm <laughs> and they can go out and, and, and experience this amazing place that you've talked about. You said it was a hidden gem and Absolutely. huge tourism potential. Yeah. And, and yeah. hopefully people will be woken up to the fact that it's right on your doorstep. And it's as you said, it's not just about the fossils. There's a lot more to see. It's a wonderful family destination. And as you said, there's bird watching, mountain biking, horse riding, there's nature trails, there's all sorts of things. So it's, it's a wonderful yeah. day out for the family. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And um, it's people like you that uh, hopefully wake us all up. So, Colin, oh, good, no. we, we hear so much about places like Victoria Falls and the Great mm -hmm. Zimbabwe ruins and Sturkfontein Caves and, and all this type of thing. And I'm, I'm, very, I'm amazed that there's no more attention given to this. All right, I've been really shocked to see how much coverage this has had on the, on the, on the internet and the websites uh, just by visiting Google. Mm. The information is unbelievable. But, but can I just urge people out there, if they haven't got anything to do on a Sunday afternoon or a Monday, give them a tinkle, give the Fossil Park a tinkle, find out when the next tour is. There are tours on a half hour. And, uh, and organize one and go and have a look at something, an absolute gem right on your, on your doorstep. And if you're visiting Cape Town, something to do on a lovely day. Colin, thank, right, you so yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to email me and thank you for joining me on the show tonight. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Colin, thank you.
Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good, good night to you. In the My Town feature this evening, I was chatting to listener Colin Roger about his trip to the West Coast and his discovery of the Fossil Park. For more information on the West Coast Fossil Park, you can take a look at the website. It's www.fossilpark.org.za. Or you can call them, as Colin said, phone up and find out when the next tour is. 022-766-1606. 022-766-1606. And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And I'll be back with you next Monday evening just after nine with the Law Report. So join me then. If you need any information about something you've heard this evening, you can email me on travel at safm.co.za or take a look at the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM.